All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya affiliated podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft. I'm here with casual Hoya Andrew Geiger, Nationwide Nolan. Guys, we are the day before taping this, before the Big East Tournament 2023 edition. As you know, your Hoyas have locked in the 11 seed. They will be playing Villanova tomorrow night, 8 p.m., Madison Square Garden. This is the best time of the year if you are a Big East Georgetown fan, right? Am I right, guys? It's it's Georgetown Wednesday at the Garden, a tradition unlike any other. Yes, this will be the eighth time in the last 10 seasons that Georgetown is playing in the first round of the Big East Tournament. And the Hoyas, as you know, 7-24, and 2-18 and 18 in the league. There has been improvement from last season, if you want to go by those numbers. Um, Andrew, I think you did a great job of putting out the bat signal on Twitter. A lot of responses. We've been silent for a little bit. There's sort of been, uh, we don't know what's going on with the podcast, but it seems as though it's going to survive. Although, I'll see if I can still post it in the same way that I always could, as changes with Vox Media. But uh, do you want to just jump in with the questions from the people? Uh, yeah, I mean, Nolan's here as well, so we can kind of jump into these questions and everyone can provide any insight that they may have. But since we had so many requ- questions uh, to um, our request for questions, I think that's the best way to go because I think we'll hit on everything that people uh, want to hear. So um, I guess we'll start at the top. Uh, no you want to start at the bottom? Are, you want to start at the bottom? No, just making a Drake joke of the kind of the George Shumpy oh, song. Oh, funny. Yeah, got it. Um, sorry. <laughs> Georgetown-related humor, I get it, yeah. Um, okay, no escalators. How long is Ewing's extension if he wins, uh, if he goes four for four this week? Funny. Um, number one, I mean, this is so out of the question of even occurring uh, that I honestly think that even if he ran the table and made the tournament, I still think that, uh, we'd have a new head coach this year. It would just make his runway um, off uh, that much smoother. Anybody else? I'm trying to pull up Ken Palm's stats for the probabilities of this happening. I, 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 I think whatever you're looking for is 0.0. I think we should just move <laughs> on to the next question. Um, well, because can, that, that can I just say real quick, <laughs> real quick, huh? it would probably be one of the most incredible coaching accomplishments that we've ever seen, right? Like if literally this version of Georgetown that's been assembled uh, through the portal, through Kevin Nickelberry. <laughs> okay. So 16% chance to get to the quarters, 1% chance to get to the semi 0.1% chance to get to the final and a less than 0.01% chance to cut down the nets. Next question. I, I, assuming, next, assuming there is a new coach, and this is from uh, LC Polo 18. Assuming there is a new coach, what are your baseline expectations uh, for next season? Nolan, why don't you take this one? Well, in today's climate, you can flip this thing quickly in a year, and there's really no shortage of examples around the country from this past season. Um, if you look at like a team, I don't know, Mississippi State, New coach, bunch of transfers, probably have worked their way into the tournament. Um, I mean, even you look at, I mean, inside the conference, I mean, there were some holdovers with what Sean Miller did at Xavier to have them as a top 20 team. 
I mean, it can be instant if you have the right guy. Um, you're going to need some reinforcements most likely, but if you hire the right guy, that'll take care of itself. So it depends on the hire, but we should have a baseline of just being a competent program again. Um, I, I think you at least would like to see yourself work back towards the middle of the pack next year. And I think that's a reasonable expectation um, with some of the names that are being thrown out there. I think a reasonable... Sorry. No, I just think a reasonable expectation or maybe a reasonable hope, like not like too unrealistic, would be something like what Seton Hall just did. And I know that they were in a good spot last year with Kevin Willard, but you bring in a new coach, they have a lot of new players, and you find a way just to beat the bad teams in the league, right? Like they got eight of their 10 or eight of their 11 Big East wins by just beating the bad teams. So if you can come in and establish yourself and be better than instantly St. John's, uh, you know, um, Butler, um, DePaul, it's not, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be mission impossible to next season with a competent coach and a good set of transfers to win between, I think seven and 11 Big East games somewhere in that part portion, which probably puts you in line to be in the mix for the NIT. Yeah. I mean, rather than individual, you know, wins and losses, I think if we're having this conversation at the end of next season and the general consensus is that it's a program moving in the right direction. um, I, I think that's my baseline expectation. And so I guess what that matters is if we're more competitive in games, you know, we're not losing by 40 at Creighton. Um, we're beating teams that, you know, we should be, just like you mentioned, the DePauls, the St. John's, and we, maybe we pull an upset, you know, somewhere along the way. Basically, oh, sure. any, sort of, any sort of semblance of, of a well-coached uh, basketball team on the floor, uh, I think that that's baseline. And if ultimately it's, it, we look back at next season and say, you know, this is, this is season one that um, provides a good jump off to season two, I think that's for me, is, it would be a good measure of success. And, and guys, um, real, real quick before the next one, if there was, and I think Nolan already alluded to this, if there was ever a time in college basketball to be this historically bad, it's right now because you can build yourself up quickly with the transfer portal, right? Like, remember when, like, yeah. when, when, when Indiana kind of hit rock bottom when Kelvin Sampson got in trouble for things that probably wouldn't get in trouble for now, and Crean had to go there, and they ended up, you know, Jeremiah Rivers went there, and they they were just just terrible for two straight years because it Mm -hmm. it was so hard to build something up. It's not that hard anymore. I mean, okay, I'm sorry. It can be difficult depending on how you do it, but the methods with which you can build yourself up quicker, they exist now and it it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to take so long. No, you get the guys now get the free one-time transfer without sitting out. And then unless something's changed, I believe the grad transfers can pretty much double pop where they get yeah. the second transfer if they choose to. So it's yeah. it's going to be free agency again this spring. Um, so the opportunity is going to be there for sure. Uh, at GM Hertz, if it's Cooley, does he potentially leave some of the Thompson infrastructure or read Ronnie because of his affinity for uh, JT? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, the answer is I certainly have no idea. Uh, you know, Ed Cooley could very well keep Ronnie Thompson involved in some fashion uh, because of his not just affinity for JT, but his relationship uh, with, with John Thompson uh, and, and the Thompson family. I certainly wouldn't put it uh, beyond comprehension that if Ed Cooley is the next head coach of Georgetown, 
that Ronnie Thompson is, is still involved in, in, in some in some capacity. I think it's hard to imagine that because Cooley's had such a successful career at the stops that he's had as a head coach and even as an assistant. You know, Boston College hasn't really been all that great since, you know, I and mean, it's been a long time, but you know, when he was on Skinner's staff, um, Boston College was a legit a legit force. I don't think that he got to where he is by giving jobs and titles and responsibilities to people that aren't qualified for it. Mm-hmm. I, I Look, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying whether it is chief of staff or some other reduced capacity, I could still see Ryan Thompson walking around the halls at the Thompson Center if Cooley's the head coach. I, I just, you know, it's not like he would have any real um, – real way to influence the day-to-day performance of the team on the court. I'm just saying that I, I wouldn't be surprised if his office isn't cleaned out. That's uh, happy. Let's see. Yeah. Um, frustrated Hoya. Why did the Hoyas never figure out how to play defense in six seasons? Nolan? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. It's it, it, and just to backtrack from when he originally got hired, my expectation was, or at least my thought was this is probably going to trend towards being a slower team that is defensive minded and the offense might be the side that's clunky and outdated. And the reality is it was the opposite where he evolved into, or it, what transpired was he, he became one of the worst defensive coaches in the sport. I mean, college pro, wherever it was just a total disaster. And whatever he learned from that coaching tree of the Van Gundys, Steve Clifford, Pat Riley, John Thompson, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better tree to come from defensively, and it never never carried over. It's To me, that's the most astounding part, that they were never competent, aside from a two-week stretch um, on that end of the floor. I think a lot of the stereotypes that come about with one of the best players of a generation to coach. We, you know, we see a lot, you know, the best players can't coach. I think a lot of that stereotype ends up on the defensive side. When we talk to him, it seems like he understands what they should be doing. It seems to me, and I've never got, you know, been able to watch practice, but it seems like he just expects the guys to do what he says or to just compete harder, just get it. That, that, that's what he did. Right. Like Mm -hmm. particularly in college, and I, I think that, you know, the lack of development is really out there on display when you look at the defensive end. It's just guys don't get better, really. I mean, you look at this season. Who on the team has gotten better at anything? Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem. And I think defensively, when we talk to him, we say, hey, how did so-and-so get all open for three? And, you know, we told him not to do this, and they did this. And I guess it's my fault. He's gotten better this year at sort of taking some blame. Um, but I think where it really shows that he's an all-time great that can't get kids to do what he did. And that's yeah. where like the, the that's where the teaching I think really just shows he doesn't have it and that's more of an NBA thing too where everyone you have on your team is a pro and you you know you just try and get the best yeah. pros and those are the teams that win. College isn't like that and we've seen it for 6 years they just really haven't been able to get it together. Well, and it's in college it's not a personnel thing. It's the good defensive coaches year after year are good at that. Yeah. And we've not to rehash it, but Brandon Murray was on a top 10 defense last year. 
you can even take Don Carey this year. Now he's a starter on a team that's ranked 30th nationally in defense. It's just, it's it's not a personnel issue. It it's just squarely falls on him. Uh, at Chicago Hoyas, um, what's for lunch? As much as I love this question, uh, my non-documented uh, salad from the, the place next door probably isn't what the people want to hear about. So I'm going to skip forward to at Delusional Hoya, who says, why would Georgetown pay two hefty eight-figure buyouts to get rid of Ewing and to hire Cooley when Patino's buyout is zero dollars? Um, that's a great question. Uh, for a school that is typically uh, for lack of a better word, tight with funds. And we know that there's a hefty buyout for Ewing that has to be absorbed. Um, why would you then uh, have to go and buy out someone like Cooley when you've got someone like Patino that's just sitting there with, with zero buyout? Um, I, I think my opinion on this is, is pretty clear. I, it's up to me completely. I think Rick Patino is your guy. I think if you're you're talking yourself if you're talking about other candidates, it's because you have some uh, some reason that you don't think Patino would be successful at Georgetown, which I fail to see. You're making excuses that have to do with off-the-court behavior that uh, I think he's more than, than done his penance for. Um, so does it make sense to go to the board and say, hey, you want, you're going to have to pay X million to go get Ed Cooley when Patino is sitting there? That doesn't make much sense to me. I think also I don't I can't remember anyone saying this on Twitter or just speaking to me or whatever, but it's pretty likely and obviously it's not gonna be that big of a contract, probably like, you know, I don't know, three or four hundred thousand dollars is my guess for the assistance. But I have a hard time believing that Baldwin and Nickelberry came here without at least a two year guaranteed deal. So, you know, whatever in the event that, you know, Ewing goes away, which seems like it'd be unlikely that he would have come back. Um, you're also going to have other guys that you probably have to pay for next season as well. I think I, I'd be stunned if Georgetown got into the business of buying out a coach somewhere else if they have their own stuff to pay for. I'd be stunned about that. No, and this is a question for Andrew. Um, but from everything I've gathered, or at least the various coaching accounts on twitter they all insist money is not an option for not an issue for georgetown that it's almost to the point they have a few money to spend and i i don't i find that hard to believe maybe it's there i don't know if they're willing to spend it um as freely as as people seem to think yeah no i i think um it, it is an issue when you're dealing with like this question says uh you know having to pay your current coach's buyout and then a prospective coach's buyout and then pay that prospective coach's contract. Um, that, that's a tougher pill to swallow. I think that um, uh, if this move was made, if, if, if Ewing would have been let go or stepped down or whatever ultimately happens or how they phrase it rather um, shortly, if that happened at the end of last season, uh, I think you know we'd be dealing with a, a Dennis Gates-led team at this point. Uh, but now he has a hefty buyout with Mizzou, which I, I don't think is palatable for a lot of a lot of people. So I don't think Georgetown has has a few money, and if it does, it's certainly not directed at the men's basketball program. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. And why should um, it be? <laughs> right. Uh, at Earl Dose 
Santos uh, has the search already been underway in secret since it's probably clear to all potential candidates that Ewing will not be around next year? Um, well, if it's secret, we wouldn't know about it. Um, but my understanding is that, uh, yes, that there have been uh, feelers put out through various back channels to um, potential candidates. You're on a roll, man. Keep it up. Okay. Um, next one, at talk and be practice. Rick Pitino is all lined up to be the head coach, but he demands the title blue jerseys be launched into the sun before he signs. Do you oh, do it? I love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy. Go. All yours, Bobby. I mean, look, <laughs> this job opens up, and Pitino is at Iona and doesn't have a buyout, and he's one of the best coaches of my lifetime. I'm in my early 40s. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it's un- that'd be unbelievable. And I think all that weighing against my affinity for the title blue jerseys, which they don't even wear enough anyway. You know, I mean, I think it'd be, this would be harder for me to answer if they brought them out like every couple of games. They don't. We see them like twice a year. So, you know, as sad as it is, um, the title blue jerseys that were meant for the PK-80 Classic, I have a PK-80 uh, aqua blue shirt, title blue, whatever you want to call it. I can wear mine in the privacy of, of my community. And uh, I think that would be a trade-off that I'd have to, I'd have to settle for. I, I do not share your affinity for the title blues. I couldn't care less about the title blues. Um, <laughs> if, if I had a title blue uh, jersey and Patino came and decided to fire them in the sun, I'd probably be happy because then they would become some sort of uh, you know, old artifact and retro situation. So um, yes, I, I'd be, more than thrilled that Patino is actually at Georgetown than <laughs> care at all about the future of the title blue uniform. Nolan? Rick Patino can do anything he wants. He's a <laughs> it does not matter. Uh, at Hoya Bay, how much of DeJoy moving on from Ewing is him and how much is it the board slash public? My impression is that DeJoy would ride the ship straight into the core of the earth. Um, <laughs> I think at this point, there is more um, of his own acknowledgement that it isn't working, um, playing into the decision, rather than him being sort of locking himself into his office and having the board have to knock it down. Um, you know, I think there's no way to objectively look at, at the state of this program. And I think um, we did a good job on the site yesterday of throwing the stats out. I mean, there's no way anyone could look at the program and think that there's even any light of the tunnel um, with Ewing at, at the helm. So I think, again, at this point now, DeJoya is um, likely reluctantly acknowledging that this hadn't worked. Yeah, unfortunately, the light at the end of the tunnel here is the train coming at you. <laughs> That's kind of morbid. At, 40, at 47 <laughs> Profit 1. Uh, any intel on current Hoyas plans to enter the transfer portal? Who are key guys we should hope to retain? Thank you. Let me just first um, answer this, and this might be harsh. I couldn't care less that they all leave. <laughs> I think I think the 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 talent level on this roster uh, can be replaced very easily, and if they need to get 12, 13, whatever, how many guys? Uh, a full new slate next year can be easily done. I also don't really care about Marvell Allen that much. If Nickelberry leaves and takes Marvell Allen with him, and I'm, I, I couldn't care less. I think he's also a dime a dozen. 
I know fans are like, oh, I wish Denver, England were coming back and Dante, but I mean, that's fine. But if they're playing elsewhere, it doesn't really matter. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot more problems than these guys at the end of the bench, whether they come back or not. So if we need to get a, a whole new roster via the transfer portal, I'm totally fine with it. All I care about is that the, the right head coach is in place. Yeah, I, I care less and less about players in this current state, not just Georgetown specifically, but the current state of college basketball. I think if you look at the Big East, UConn is kind of an exception with the way Hurley has recruited and retained guys, maybe Creighton to an extent, but nobody wanted the guys that are on Marquette's roster. It's mm-hmm. it, Players are less and less relevant. It's find the coach who can mold the group together, who can get them to buy in, and it takes care of itself. I mean, you can look all around the country. The the days of building up teams with four and five stars and getting continuity, it's it's over. It's what can you piece together in a year and what can you get out of it? It's I, I really would not concern myself with the comings and goings of the roster until it's set, and then you see what the coach can do. I mean, just an example, the eight ten tournament was in D.C. last year. Uh, Prima had one of his better games for Duquesne. Duquesne basically had the same season Georgetown had last year and this year. Uh, um, if look, just go to Ken Palm and look at what Duquesne's up to this year. You know, yeah. they went from six and twenty-four, one and sixteen in the league. They're twenty and eleven. They're ten and eight. Um, you know, the players don't really matter. Now that being said, I think that a a more experienced, more successful coach could have got this group of Georgetown players in a much better spot than two and 18 in the league. So that's not to say that, you know, I I get what you're saying, Andrew, that like, you don't care. And Mm -hmm. like, I get it. You're focused on the big picture. I do think that there are pieces here that if you mix them with other pieces or you have different strategies, I think that there is stuff here that can help you win next year. And that's fair. I'm just saying that I don't think those pieces are not available you know, should the current ones leave, you can get similar pieces yeah, yeah. You know, on the roster next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. At BML underscore in underscore CO. I think this is our, our Brian Lerner, our old uh, Hoya prospectus buddy um, for the, for the old timers out there. Anyway, what is Lee Reed's expected role in the upcoming events? Ewing's likely departure, new hire, men basketball relationship to GU athletics department. So, my understanding is that Reed is going to take a, um, a leadership role as far as the new hire. And a lot of people are like, oh, why why Lee Reed hasn't done anything? Lee Reed, and I, I've said this many times before, is, is, a, is a very knowledgeable basketball mind. Uh, he played basketball in college. He's, he's, a, he's a basketball guy. And so I have complete faith that if he is able to have a um, – have a large role in the selection of our next head coach, that it will be a hire that everyone is, is pleased with. Um, assuming that the, the dollars are there and, you know, contractual arrangements can be worked out. I think that he understands that the men's basketball program is the torchbearer for the athletics department. I think that he is deserving of the chance to pick the next head coach, given his success all over the rest of the school, with you know, in the soccer program and the lacrosse program. Uh, and I think he'll do a, good, a very good job. And so what I hope happens is that he's able to go out, gauge the interests of potential clients, uh, handle the vetting process on his own, conduct interviews and whatnot, 
uh, and then ultimately present a few candidates to uh, DeJoya or the board or whoever ultimately is making the decision. Um, but the ones that are presented will be ones with Reed's uh, seal of approval. Sounds good. That sounds like yeah. something a PD <laughs> should be doing. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting if they can get the flow chart of who's in charge of who within the athletic department and men's basketball kind of more in line with what it is at most of their peer schools, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I, I think prior to, it, right, it's, if you're in, in, listening to this, you'd be like, yeah, obviously that's what an athletic director should do, but that just hasn't been the case at Georgetown uh, up yeah. until now based on the relationship between the school president and, and the Thompson family. Uh, let's see, at From Gould, any chance they would elevate someone on staff? Um, example, Nickelberry. I mean, no, no, but they would have already done that no. if that was if that was something that they they felt good about. <clears throat> yeah, there's there's zero chance of that happening. But I, like you alluded to, Bobby, I think that's right. I mean, this, this that would have been something that probably would have happened um, if Ewing would have walked away about a month ago, um, but not now. Um, uh, at MS. Go ahead. Quick programming note, because I got the times mixed up, we are running um, up against some time limits I have here for picking up kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to just put it out there because I think this is interesting conversation. This is my Twitter question at Bobby Bancroft. What would be the disaster scenario um, as, you know, we, we follow all these, you know, rumors and all these things. And it looks like, you know, Georgetown isn't open yet, right? St. John's isn't open yet. Um, they, we expect these jobs to open up soon. What would it mean to you, Andrew and Nolan, if Patino ended up going to St. John's and it was, we, we, we found out after the fact that Georgetown maybe didn't pursue it. It, for me, the only acceptable outcome to that was if you got Cooley, um, Mm -hmm. short of that, it's, that would be a disaster. Um. And I'm generally a fan of Cooley. I think he would do well at Georgetown. I think he'd recruit better. He could possibly break through in a way he hasn't at Providence. Um, But Patino to St. John's without Cooley, unless there's a name out there I haven't heard yet, that would be a total failure. Any interest in uh, Chris Mack? No. Um, Turgeon? Uh, I've had people bring that up to me a lot, a lot recently, and I totally forgot he existed. What about, what about like if, you know, Speedy Claxton is the next head coach of Georgetown? (laughs) Is that, is that a disaster? I don't know. Right. Like, like, is is that a disaster hire, you know, an an up and coming coach? I, I, I don't think so. I think it is if you voluntarily pass on Patino, if you stuck your nose up at him. Um, right. Because there's, I, I, I think we're all in agreement. There's no reason if he's sitting there not to hire him. Um, but I think there's plenty of candidates that could do well at Georgetown. Yeah. It's just to me, when, for my money, he's the best coach of my lifetime. And if he's sitting there without a buyout, <laughs> I mean, what? There, it, there's really it, no debate, such, is there? It, it's such a layup that, yeah. uh, I mean, again, any conversation about any other candidate doesn't even make sense because if he's sitting there, he should be the next coach. You know, I hear a lot, well, you don't want to sell your soul. To, what are you talking about, sell your soul? I mean, what you, you, if you want to, I mean, he, he sent kids to Georgetown. He's, yeah. a coach, he's coached in the Big East. He's coached Patrick Ewing. He's got relationships with that. It's not like, 
he's some outsider who, you know, some hired gun that you're bringing in. This is Rick Pitino, the best, like you said, the best college coach of our lifetime who is sitting there, who has a desire to be the head coach of your program. Okay. And That's after the right. last six years, and the last six years to eight years, we deserve Rick Pitino. Yeah. And, you know, and people might not believe this, and maybe it's just me being sentimental about the Big East, but I think the job means something to him. I think he cares about the Big East. I think he cares about a program like Georgetown. The guy does not want to go to South Florida or UCF and spend his glory days down there. I think this is the job that he wants. And I think that has to matter, at least to some some regard. It's uh it is a layup. I think when you look around the league and you look at who has come in the league recently coaching wise, and it's good because without Villanova and Jay Wright, there could be a little bit of a worry. But guess what? You know, Sean Miller has immediately come in and done a great job. Shock smart with my guy Tyler Kolick from Fairfax. Well he spent a year in Fairfax. They've done a great job. I think that you don't want to become, I know we joke about their DePaul. They're not DePaul yet. Like when you look at how bad it was at DePaul and for how long, it's been really bad. They're about to lose 50 total games the past two years. And I feel like I've sat at all of them. They're not there yet. And I think the next coaching hire, while there's so many guys that would probably do a good job and we can't predict it, it's hard to predict, but I think they're in a position where they've got to make a big hire and get it right really quick or they do run the risk of becoming a complete ghost program. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, I know you've got timing issues, but why, so why don't we cut this one short? I mean, obviously, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about in the next few days. I think we're talking about a potential uh, loud Georgetown news cycle in the next uh, week or so, um, and we can get even more questions from everybody. Um, let me just ask you guys real quick, because I know – how I feel about this and how how surprised I am in like a couple minutes here. How surprised are you guys that this is the path they've chosen to go in that they kept Patrick all season when it was clear that disaster season part two was well in effect early in January. They lose by 40 last week. They have a whole week off to try and prepare some sort of Patrick Ewing grand finale at MSG instead of getting some booze and cat calls and bags over their heads. People might, you know, Georgetown fans might applaud him and, you know, wave him goodbye and thank him for everything he has done for the university, both on the court, financially, blah, blah, blah. Can you believe that it's just, well, we're just going to go to New York. We're not going to have the media availability. We're just going to pretend everything's fine. I mean, is this, yeah, I, mean, I would, am, I, I, I would have been more surprised if they actually did something that okay. made sense. Okay. I mean, when when was when was the last time that the that the program did something that you're like, oh, you know, that's good for them. You know, they really got out in front of this, and this is really yeah. the professional way of doing things. I mean, I I think ultimately, when Ewing kind of dug his feet in the ground during um, the earlier part of the season, and it became clear that he was very, you know, strict about not stepping down. That this was ultimately the way that the path that we were going to go down. Right. Um, I wonder if the whole MSG thing makes it even pushes the timeline out even further, just in the sense that they they may not release something that we'd be expecting during the biggest tournament at all, you know, because everything's happening in New York and that might take away from it. I I, I don't know, but I'm not surprised at all the way things have have ended up just because it seems he's got so much pride, um, 
for better or worse, that he wasn't going anywhere. Um, he wasn't abandoning the ship, so to speak, during the season. I, I think it's unfortunate. Selfishly, as a fan, like a proper send-off would be nice, not even as a Georgetown fan, but as a Big East fan, and we're not going to get that. But it, it feels like it ultimately was up to him. As Andrew said, he dug his feet in, and he was not going to step down. No parting of ways. Um, but I get the sense we might not ever see the guy again around this program. And I, I think that's the sad part about it. So a, a proper send off would have been nice, but it, it clearly was headed in this direction and we're going to go there tomorrow. And it's, it, it's, it's bizarre, but not unexpected. Yeah. You know what though, to, uh, to, just to that point, Bobby, and then, you know, you know that as far as him being around the program, I don't really recall him being around that much. That's true. Or either. I mean, obviously, when you and Junior. He was at that last that, Big East game, like when Syracuse yeah, came and they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, but obviously, when you and Junior was on, you know, the, the Final Four teams and all that, I mean, he was present. Um, and yeah, he was at that Syracuse game, but it's not like he was someone that came to all the games. He wasn't there like Morning Goes or Matumbo Goes or, you know, some of those older, you know, the Michael Graham, some of those guys that always show up. Ewing was not one of those guys. So. If that's what you have to lose out of all this, you're right, Nolan, it sucks. Um, but it, it is what it is. And really, honestly, that falls on Ewing more than anybody else. Yeah, I'll say this. As someone that, you know, grew up, I, I was, I'm too young to have seen him play at Georgetown. But, you know, I like the Knicks because of him because I got into Georgetown. And it's been, it has been really cool to be around him, to get to know him a little bit, to talk to him. You know, that being said, I think that, if he chooses not to be around the program, it's not because he got a raw deal. Like no, no one would have brought him back after last year, but Georgetown or kept him through this entire year, you know? So I totally get how he wouldn't want to be around and probably stops donating and all this stuff. But I don't think there's a case to be made when you're of, when you're not emotionally filled with what's going on to be like, he got a raw deal. You know what I mean? Like that's the reason you step away, you step away because you just, you know, you're, you feel like you've exhausted all of your, everything you can do with Georgetown, but he definitely didn't get a raw deal. Totally agree. Well, thank everyone listening to Kente Corner. Thank Andrew and Nationwide Nolan for coming by. I do need to scramble to make sure that I can bring these kids home. So Biggie's tournament tomorrow, probably, uh, it's probably it for Georgetown and their season. All right, guys. Yeah, we'll be in touch soon. You're not going to give your Hoya Saxa? Oh, Hoya Saxa. <laughs>